welcome to the AEW Match Guide podcast, where we deep dive into the best matches in AEW history. Brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network and your host, Sam Brown. Yes, hello and welcome to the AEW Match Guide podcast. I'm your host, Sam Brown. Thank you for joining me. Every week, alongside a special guest, I take an in-depth look at one of the best matches in AEW history, taken from the definitive AEW Match Guide, as ranked by over 30 wrestling commentators from around the internet wrestling community. If you enjoy the show today, you can subscribe and rate it on your podcast app of choice, and make sure you check out all of the other great shows on the Social Suplex Podcast Network that cover all aspects of the world of professional wrestling. My guest for today is a writer and editor for Near Falls Media, Sam Roberts, and we're looking at Venny versus Emi Sakura, the first round of the Women's Championship Eliminator Tournament. How are you going today, Sam? Hey, howdy, hi. How's it going? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It's 2.30 a.m. here in Scotland, but I'm doing great. <laughs> are we? Do I need to, you know, prep a really loud noise to wake you up at any point, or are you nicely no, no, dosed no, up I'm on caffeine? <laughs> I'm, I'm very dosed on some sugary cereal, so hopefully that keeps me through. Uh, worst comes to worst, while you're talking, I'll sprint and pick up an energy drink from the kitchen. But <laughs> I think I think I'll, I think I'll be good. Hopefully, the sugar high lasts about the hour we'll be on, and then afterwards you'll hit the crash. You can just go to sleep <laughs> and deal with it all. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, before we get into this match, Sam, I just want to ask you, what is your history with AEW? How did you get into this promotion? Well, I'll I'll do like a very quick cliff notes about wrestling in general because it all kind of melds together. So I was a wrestling fan. When I was younger, my favourite of all time is Jeff Hardy. Him versus CM Punk in 2009 is one of my favourite feuds of all time. But then I fell off, as most people do. Um, around 2018, I thought, late 2018, I thought, huh, I wonder what Jeff Hardy's up to now. <laughs> I wonder what, <laughs> nine years later, how, how's he doing? So I just kind of went on YouTube and went, Jeff Hardy. I think something had happened with him in the news recently with WWE. So a what culture wrestling video popped up, which I watched and I was like, oh, okay, I guess wrestling's still a thing. Who's this Becky Lynch person? And Becky Lynch was starting the Man Rise, and that made me go, this is really cool, this is interesting. And while keeping up with that, I heard talk of Cody Rhodes, and he's just done this big show with his friends. And I was like, well, that's interesting. I've never heard of any of those guys, but it sounds like a big deal. Oh, they're starting a company. Their first show is in January, and I've just kind of gotten into wrestling again. I found it again. Um, so I'll check it out. Uh, and watched it, and with the AEW uh, Double or Nothing 2019 buy-in, um, my heart for wrestling was stolen forever by Luchasaurus ending Joey Janela's <laughs> life through a table <laughs> and thought, well, I, I think I'm back. I think I'm officially back. There's a giant dinosaur man that can do backflips. This is this is definitely the thing for me. That's a, that's a great in point, actually. I'd never seen Luchasaurus up until that show. And I was immediately taken by him as well. I was immediately a fan and was just like, I want to see more of this big dinosaur dude. <laughs> He's awesome. Yeah. I think with, with that match in particular, not to focus on it because it's not part of the list at all, but I did put it on my, when we were doing our own individual list for this top 50, it did not get far. Um, but the reason that that battle Royal was on my list is because it introduced me to Luchasaurus, but it also gave mm. you a first-hand glimpse at Jungle Boy. MJF has some really like just... Mm clear MGF distinct moments in the opening. As I mentioned, like Joey Janela, who'd be quite a big part of early days AEW television, mm. gets a big spot in that. People like uh, Brian Pillman Jr. get spotlighted here and there. And you're like, oh, so these are like other people that could go on mm. to do stuff. 
even though for obvious reasons he's not with the company anymore. Jimmy Havoc's one of the final five. And it's sort of like you see all these people that are going to be a big deal in the first year of AEW. And I think that's an important way to look at that match. But yeah, so that that was my inroad into this company. Yeah, um, that, just that kind of sh- like as it began. <laughs> that that whole show is almost a time capsule. And, and that one, that, that Battle Royale in particular, I know you've got, as well as those guys you mentioned, you've got guys like Ace Romero or Sunny Days who just never show up again. Like this is the one and only match that they've had in AEW and yeah <laughs> well Ace, I mean Ace Romero would actually be a pretty decent pickup for him if they ever wanted it but obviously Especially just hasn't you know come out of his contract with impact as well so he's available yeah 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 well I mean cool? that'd be someone to pick up if they wanted and he's got a little bit of history but yeah what a what a great show to and what a like a different show to have as well as just something to really like throw a bucket of water on your face if you've yeah. you know never had any experience with indie wrestling in particular American indie wrestling in particular it did what it's supposed to. It made me buy in. That's literally the yep. end show what it did. And I'm and I'm still here two years later to the point that I'm there talking to you on a podcast from other opposite sides of the world about Indeed. one of their top 50 matches. So like done something 2 a.m. Like. in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> now, that, that isn't the match we're here to talk about, although it would be interesting to go back and have a look at it at some point. So I'm, maybe I'm we'll put a few. We'll, uh, <laughs> we'll fold the page over in that and then sometime down the line we might come to it. Uh, but we are looking at Venny versus Emi Sakura from the first round of the Women's Championship Eliminator Tournament from January 2021. Actually, maybe February 2021 when this happened. I've got a question. Why did you choose this match? This is the first one we've done from the Women's Championship Eliminator Tournament. It's a really interesting concept. So I'm curious why you chose this match. Put simply, I don't want this tournament to be forgotten. Um, I think it's really key and really important to the short history of the women's division, uh, even shorter than many of us would like it to be. And this match is uh, possibly the best from the thing. I think most people would say it's the best. I do like the inevitable uh, number one contender challenge against Takaru Shida. Uh, but if you're not including that as part of the tournament, then then this is by far the, the best match all round it had a lot of people talking and i think it's just important that we recognize what this tournament did so that's why i put this match on the list and why i think a lot of other people did because it made top 50 yeah uh, i'm i really am a big fan of what this this tournament represented what it was i love how unique it was and we're going to get into that in a second so i'm really glad you picked this up and i'm really glad to be to be talking about it because it's as you said it's it's got a lot of things to talk about, uh, and it's just by itself as well is an absolute rip snorter of a banger. <laughs> so I'm, I'm looking forward to getting into it. Now, just before we get into the match itself, I did just want to preposition um, up front that Venny is, of course, a trans wrestler, and we will both be doing our best to get pronouns correct. However, if we do slip up and, and get one wrong, it's absolutely by mistake, and we apologize up front for that. But let's get into the match. As we do every week on the AEW Match Guide, um, we'll introduce the match by giving it its flowers. Unfortunately, Dave Meltzer didn't rate it, so we don't have a don't have a rating from Big Papa Dave. The the tough markers at Cage Match have given this one an 8.11. And at the AEW Match Guide, it came in on 42nd on the list. It was the fourth highest ranked women's match of on that list. So um, that's where it came in there. This is the first non-pay-per-view or dynamite match we're looking at on this podcast. So the first one from any of the slew of things they have outside of dynamite and pay-per-view. 
This match was part of the Women's Championship Eliminated Tournament, which was put together in Japan in February 2021 in the lead-up to Revolution. It was shot across America and Japan, with the Japanese section airing on two special YouTube shows, with the first rounds and then the semifinals. The ultimate prize for winning the tournament was the opportunity to challenge Hikaru Shida for the AEW Women's title at Revolution. Uh, so you've already mentioned up front that you really liked the tournament. Would you be able to just elaborate on that? What what did you think was great about this tournament? So by all accounts and reporting, it was kind of the love child of Hikaru Shida. She wanted to do this. I think she probably wanted to go back to Japan, but it was just speculation. Um, it had obviously been some time since she'd been able to go back there with restrictions. So it was an excuse for her to go and spend time there, but still represent AEW by helping to not only book the entire thing like help with that um but organize the production for the japanese side of the bracket so i think that that's like a a significant thing for 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 her to have been part of that i also like that it's it's presented as being this dual national thing Mm, Uh, a quick aside that too but I did say at the time, I was like, this is really weird that the US side of the bracket features at least like two, possibly three people that aren't from the US. And someone <laughs> on Twitter was like, what are you talking about? Thunder Roses from Texas. And I, to this day, have a problem with that because she's literally announced us from the graveyards of Tijuana, Mexico. And I've <laughs> wanted to argue with this person for like a year at this point. But anyway, um, so I, I thought that was really interesting that you could do this split nation thing. Um, and it was sort of a proof of concept that they have these roots in Japan that they could do stuff like this in the future, um, even if it not just because that sounds reductive, but even if it's only a women's division thing, um, there, mm. there's there's proof in the pudding that you can do something like this again. And while, as you say, Dave Meltzer doesn't necessarily recognize it because it was a YouTube thing, the fact that it was on YouTube is, again, quite reductive. Um, it still got a level of attention that at least people on my timeline were upset when maybe it didn't go quite right with things like the BR Live app uh, for the for the final mm. event. So it was generating a sense of buzz and excitement because these were faces we hadn't mm. seen before presented in a new context. So, Yeah, I thought it was such a great way to kick off the women's division in 2021. 2020 was obviously a really difficult year for the division. Uh, it started out in the first few months with pretty much the majority of the division either being outside the country or injured. Uh, and you had Hikaru Shida, Nyla Rose, Penelope Ford, like literally holding this thing together, like like it's a rickety vehicle going along and there's, you know, bits flying off left and right. They're just doing what they can to keep it together. Uh, and look, the, the company didn't help itself in some in some ways in it, but they it was a it was just a difficult situation on a lot of aspects for them. And they copped some grief, rightly so, in some some in some aspects probably not so rightly in other aspects, but this, when this was announced in early 2021, I was like, wow, this is a really unique concept. They're not doing this anywhere else at the moment in wrestling. The only other company that's really like properly spanned uh, international borders and, and had that, at least on the top on an upper level is new Japan. And they weren't able to do that at that point And they hadn't for a while, but for, you know, in you know early in 2018 2017 their partnership with ring of honor they really were doing that sort of thing but this felt really unique uh and i love that and i loved that they were putting so much thought and effort into the women's division uh and 
in a, in a way that it didn't feel like it always got in 2020. And I thought it was just a brilliant way to kick off the year. And also I loved the fact that they were getting new wrestlers involved, um, new faces and, and faces that are really interesting. You know, we were having a conversation before we started recording about Maki Ito, who um, I'll be talking about her match on a later podcast. So I don't want to get too, too in into that one, but you know, characters like her who really clicked and managed to, talk a really real big social media game and, and, and a really interesting faces for the company to expose and, and give that exposure to new fans. So I was a huge fan of this tournament and I think it went really well, which we'll get into the legacy of it after we talk about the match. But yeah, just from the, as soon as they announced this, I thought it was really exciting uh, and tournaments are always great because you can, you can, when they're announced, you can get excited about what the, the way the stories are going to go as, as competitors win or get beaten throughout so it was a, a really great way to start the year for this for this division, for the company. Looking at the women that are involved in this match, uh, Emi Sakura was in AEW before, of course. Most prominently, she was part of the Joshi six-woman tag match, double or nothing. Uh, and then she was a challenger for the women's title against Riho at full gear in 2019. Uh, Sam, what did you think of the original run that Emi Sakura had in the company? Garbage, to, to be very flippant. <laughs> Because I am, as anyone who is listening to this podcast is going to be someone who got way too into wrestling, you learn from other people, right? Emi Sakura has trained Riho. She is one of her major influences. And that was not presented well at all for that for that challenge. Never mind the fact that she was doing a Freddie Mercury gimmick, which while fun, and I like to remember that wrestling a is fun, but B is like a fairground activity traditionally in the mm. UK. It's a thing people go to like camper van holidays and there are people doing like wrestling at that and people want to go and yep. watch it. It's a tremendously entertaining gimmick. It did not work in the US for what for whatever no. reason. It did not translate yep. um, because she was doing it while being a heel. So it's a weird thing. So in, in very flippant terms, garbage uh, mm. and not entirely... Uh, her fault just poorly presented on top of uh, not not clicking quite right. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that the second time around, uh, she's in a much better position in yep. terms of presentation-wise. Uh, but I'm sure we'll talk about that later. No, but yeah. this initial run, yeah, not 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 the best. Yeah, I agree. I like the Joshi six man six women match. I, I really liked that match at Double or Nothing, and I did like the actual match itself against Riho at full gear. But apart from those two things, I, I'm absolutely on board with you there. It, the character didn't really work. It didn't click. Uh, and yeah, they've got this great rivalry. They've had like a hundred matches or some ridiculous amount of matches that they've had against each other. Uh, and that was introduced to us by a tweet before the pay-per-view after they've had the, like the go home dynamite. I think Kenny Omega mentioned how, what a great story it was going to be and tweeted about it. And it's like, yeah, that's awesome. You know, I'm glad that they've, they've got this rivalry, but it would have been something to talk about. You know, like that's a, a massive thing that they're doing and they're not talking about it. And then I think it got brought up on the commentary in the leader in the actual match itself. But why didn't they do that earlier? It's not like this came, this news came out of nowhere. <laughs> like yeah. um, th- those matches have happened and, and AEW is normally really good at doing that. And I think that's almost symptomatic about um, what we're talking about with the, the lack of effort or thought that was it felt like was going into the women's division at times in the past. 
obviously Emi, Emi Sakura is a legend of Japanese wrestling, but I, I think it's fair to say that her initial run in AEW didn't click and didn't connect the way that it probably should have or it could have if things had been done differently. Moving on from Emmy, though, we've got Venny. She was uh, an unknown to me before wrestling in this tournament. Um, I'd never heard of them before. She, they also go the na- by the name Asuka. Started their career at 16 years of age. Sport a who's who of talent across Japanese indie promotions, including likes of Riho, Yuka Sakazaki, Mei Sugura, even Dick Togo. Yes, that Dick Togo <laughs> has uh, had a match with Venny. Uh, also, wrestled Hikaru Shida uh, to a 20-minute singles draw in 2018. This was their AEW debut. Did you have any previous knowledge of Askaveni? Twitter telling me that they're potentially the best wrestler in the world. And that's yep. that's as condensed as I'm going to make that statement because you go into this being told this person is is the best in the world and the fact that they are still doing freelance is ridiculous. And not to say that like this this match is in our top fifty. It is not a it is not a match that has blown me away to the extent that I'm like, yeah, I can see them as being best in the world. But this is the first match I ever saw of Venice, and they're good. Like to uh, simplest terms, they are good. And uh, that that was my pre existing knowledge was they're potentially the best in the world by some people's account, and you should check out this match. And I did, and I, I wasn't disappointed. Mm. I really like the idea because, as we mentioned, Sheeta was at the heart of producing and creating this tournament. I like the idea that Sheeta had gone out and picked the, the who's who, of course, Emi Sakura, legend previously involved in the company, previously had title shots, fits fits herself in perfectly into it. But then you've got Venny, and she's wrestled to a draw with Hikaru Sheeta in 2018. And Sheeta is a very like honourable. She's a fighting champion, uh, and she's someone who who will give people a fair shot and you know, she's seen this wrestler that's out there that wrestled her to a draw and gone, I'm going to give you a shot because I've wrestled you. I know what you can bring. And I want to give you a chance to potentially write this draw that we had uh, and see who's best out of the two of us. So I love that that little storyline aspect. They didn't really bring it up at all in, in commentary. Uh, I kind of discovered it when I was looking back through cage match, but you know, in some ways it doesn't matter. It didn't affect it, but it adds just an extra layer to those people who know what's happened and, and just said like, or, you know, maybe Excalibur could have said like Vanny handpicked by Hikaru Shida because they fought to a draw yeah. previously or, or something along those lines. But you know, it didn't, it didn't even matter that it didn't show up. It's still, a, it's still a great presentation, but I, I love that little added aspect to the story and that little detail in there as well. I think it's wonderful that this match stands alone. So often mm. in wrestling, um, I feel like we, we, and I understand why, and I understand that as a storytelling medium, but there's the occasional necessity to get bogged down in the story, the long-term storytelling element of it. This is not to say that that's a bad thing. It is incredibly mm. important. But I'm one of those people who always feels like there are others who will go, well, if you don't understand the story that's being told, wrestling's not for you and I'm like that is not true whatsoever Mm. wrestling is pantomime with high energy stunts right that that is that is to me like it in its simplest form that's how I describe it to people who don't like wrestling is it's pantomime with amazing stunt work and sometimes you can just watch it and enjoy it for its presentation and what it is and this is a first time match between Venny and Emi Sakura I don't think the two of them have ever had a match together and it doesn't require some pre-existing information to enjoy it outside of the fact it's a tournament match and they get an opportunity because of their win here. Uh, and I think that's great that it doesn't, it, it's on this list of 50 and it doesn't require 
a big winding story to get it there. Yeah, yeah. And I I love the log term the log term story aspect and the character aspect of wrestling. That's you know, that's something that really um really tickles my fancy. But at the same time, you can't say, well, to appreciate this match, you've got to watch 20 years worth of wrestling <laughs> to yeah. to get into it. Or, you know, for someone like me who, uh, like, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm interested in Joshi. I think it's probably a great thing to dive into. I don't have the time to dive into it. So I, I know very, very little about it. I'd never seen Benny before this. And and that didn't matter. Um, and, and you have to cater to both those, both those sides of the thing, uh, when you, when you're putting the matches together, you know, and, uh, I, I think they did a good job with it. Anyway, we'll get into it. Um, we'll get into the actual match itself. But as I said, I, I love that little storyline aspect of it, spoken or unspoken that she has gone out and handpicked this person because, you know, they had a draw and she's a champion. So why not give her, a, why not give them a chance? Uh, so as we, we talked about this match, took place as part of the Women's Championship Eliminator Tournament. So it was in a small warehouse with a ring in it, very little crowd. I think there's a few people buzzing around, but there's a ref and a cameraman, uh, very bare-bones Spartan-like setup. I think it was part of Emi Sakura's wrestling school or something along those lines. What did you think of the setup they had for this this match, Sam? It's bare-bones, but they explain it away. I think um, there were arguments made at the time by people who aren't necessarily AW fans, and it's fair um, that this presentation is not great. Uh, I forget the timeline, but Japan's obviously kind of stayed open with regards to wrestling shows, by and large, just with clap crowds. So the primary reason for doing it this way wasn't for necessarily COVID safety. It was more because they didn't want to get any spoilers out because they were pre-recording everything over the course of, like, two days, and they didn't want it to all get out. Because you have to record every match from the Japanese side of the bracket plus um, additional six women matches that were aired as part of the final mm. day. So there's there's a lot to get in that you don't want to get spoiled by doing it in front of a live crowd. So it was fine. for It was fit for purpose. Uh, it was a slightly smaller ring. It was a different presentation. And I feel like some of that's always useful. As a video game geek, I think I'm on side with uh, a couple of other people and saying I really hope that this stage is the AEW video game as a very <laughs> slight nod to this tournament. Um, there'll be no entrance ramp. You'll just have to start in the ring, but it'll be a nice little addition. Yeah, that was great. It was funny how like they had the entrance ramp and the, the camera sort of flipped around a little bit. It took me a while to get like what's the orientation and where things are in this room that we're looking at. <laughs> but I I didn't mind it at that point of the year. Like at that point, everyone's aware of COVID. Everyone knows what the deal is. I wasn't expecting them to have crowds for it at all when I went into it. I assumed it would be in front of next to nobody. There was probably a production aspect, like an, as well as the spoilers thing. Like, I don't know what AEW's traction in the Japanese market is like. I don't know if people actually watch, so maybe they wouldn't have actually got much of a crowd, and that would have looked even worse. Um, and to be honest, like the clap crowds, at, by that point, I think people were over the fact that like, oh, yeah, they've got people, but all they can do is clap. And it was kind of like, uh, you know, it's it's equally as much of a half measure as, you know, what AEW was doing with very minimal seating at that point. You know, you, if a few fans that have in attendance and then, of course, the extras back in Daly's place along the side. I, I didn't mind. It reminded me a little bit of the the initial New Japan, the New Japan Cup tournament that they had uh, where it was just in like a, 
must have been like some sort of concert hall or, or something along those lines. Uh, and, and they just had a ring set up there and it was just them and the, the wrestlers and the referee and a couple of young lines floating about. So I, I, I liked it. It was unique. Anything that's unique is, 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 is good. No, that's probably a bad thing to say, <laughs> but I, I, this was good, unique. Like yeah. this was good, unique. It was different, uh, but it gave it a special feel and a nice feel. And I hadn't even thought about this being in the video game, but now you mentioned it. I'll, if it's not in there, I'll be annoyed. <laughs> Uh, yeah, of course, as we mentioned, there's an announcer. I don't know who this guy is, but he did a fantastic job. He announced that, like, it was a super no vacancy Tokyo Dome crowd. Um, you know, really got into the uh, really got into the announcement of it. Uh, so, so props to that guy uh, for for doing his utmost in every single match in this on this one, and, and of course, this match we're talking about. Venny is first to come out. Love the entrance music. Apparently, the kimono that they're wearing to the ring is Hannah Kimura's. And Venny, of course, tagged with Hannah Kimura at a different point. Lovely little touch there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it gifted to them by uh, Hannah Kimura's mum. And as you say, like a, a nice touch to be representing her on an international stage. Um, not not to say that it's like a one-off thing. Like I've I've seen Venny wear the the few other matches I've been able to say Venny is still wearing that kimono, but to use it for what is their debut on an international stage is is a great honor I think. Yeah. Uh, and Emmy Emmy Sakura is next out. New entrance. No longer Freddie Mercury <laughs> coming out with a crown and a robe. Improvement. Uh, as we mentioned, that that Freddie Mercury thing just didn't click. I think it would be a fun like if that came, if that happened at my local indie promotion, I'd be like, yeah, cheering along, doing the claps and stuff. Yeah. But on a for a, for a televised audience and particularly for a heel, <clears throat> it, it didn't work. So I really liked this new entrance. What did what did you think of it? I loved it. It, it was a nod to the to the Freddie Mercury influence. Um, but as as it's because she's still doing it today. Uh, obviously, it's, it's within the course of a year, so why would you change your gimmick in a year? But she's still doing it now. And the inference that wasn't made clear at the time and hasn't been made clear since she's back in the States, for anyone who doesn't know that she's actually in America, and obviously you wouldn't because she's not on TV, it's like the idea of like the killer queen. So she's taken mm. the influence of Freddie Mercury. She's taken her own influence as being a veteran from 1994 she's been wrestling since. Like... And and it's now, yeah, I, I like Queen. I like rock music. I'm also going to end your life because that is kind of the mm. point of wrestling. And so it was it was playful, but in like a in a sinister way almost. And the fact that she has her trainees come out with her um mm. to continue this air of like I am I am regal, I am in charge of I command mm. great swathes of wrestlers because of how many people she's trained. Um, I think is is a great great look uh, and still ties into the original Freddie Mercury gimmick if you need it to have a continuation as well. I, I never thought of the Killer Queen thing, which is crazy because that that's such a well known line, <laughs> Killer Queen. Um, isn't that one of the albums? It's it's, it's uh, 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 she's a killer queen. Yeah, I'm not going to get the rest of it, but I've forgotten the I've forgotten the song. Yeah. You're not remiss for not knowing she is currently on AEW Dark every week and has been for over a month doing a Killer Queen's gimmick where she has uh, one of her trainees, Lulu Pencil, has been coming to the ring with her as her servant and has now been replaced by Mae Saruga, who is part of this tournament, who is also like part of the faction, and they are the Killer Queens. And it's not being shown anywhere, yeah. but it's a really fun little thing while also being vaguely sinister. <laughs> 
Yeah, I just thought it was fitting because I thought it was like she's a veteran and she she thinks she's the queen of the of Japanese women's wrestling, and so she's yeah. presenting herself as a queen because she is like. As you said, been wrestling since 1994. I don't know when she started. They start early in Japan, apparently. They do. No, she's, she's from – I think she was like 12 or something crazy. 94 at the age of 17. Crazy, crazy. Uh, of course, the match itself, um, they did, in fact, they did more than just walk to the ring. Uh, early <laughs> on, jostling places with, you know, some really nice technical exchanges there. But Venny gets the first chance to really impress us leaning back with knees to avoid a kick and then locking in their body and rolling through a uh, really unique, like little sequence of maneuvers here. What did you think of this as a first impression of Venny? Incredible flexibility and agility. Like mm. the, as you're saying, like it, it's a roll through a uh, kip up, but done. Uh, I've heard a lot of people talking recently about when Sammy Guevara does a kip up, he sort of pauses to sort of let the crowd get in with him as he is bringing himself mm. up totally. And on uh, a heel side, that's very overly dramatic and look at me, look what I can do. On a face side, it gives the audience an opportunity to go like, woo, look at look at our guy, mm. look at our gal, look at our person. That looks awesome. Doing something mm. incredible. Yeah. And Venny is doing that to no crowd and um, creates this air for both of them where I'm like, I don't know who's supposed to be good or who's bad. I just enjoy that both of them are here to show the other one up, whether it be mm. through power and veteranship or whether it be through agility, flexibility and um, speed as a young tra- a young wrestler. Um, and, and so it was a great first impression for Vinny because you go, this person's smarmy, this person's got a smirk on them. Uh, they want to show off and they have every right to do so with this level of ability at such a young age. Mm. Yeah, and I love that after that, Emi Sakura's comeback is to just like dominate Venny, tossing her about with her hair, gets her into a Romero, like a really vicious looking Romero special, jamming her head against the turnbuckle, just like torturing this poor person. <laughs> uh, I don't remember Emmy Sakura being like that vicious in her first run with AEW. Uh, I really like the mean streak paired with that entrance. What did you think of, of Emmy Sakura's offense and, and how it looked as comparison to what you'd seen before? I put it down as brutal. Um, I I don't even have that much of a recollection of her match against Riho that you said was quite good earlier. Like, I know that happened, but I can't tell you if it was good or anything I remember. This match, I can tell you, I think is my favourite I've seen from her in AEW. It is, it is hard-hitting and kind of to the nature of, from what I gather, Venny likes to wrestle. Venny has wrestled loads of people and will sometimes have matches where it's I'm I'm not that up for it. Uh, but that's not not to say that they're not taking their work seriously. That's just the character dynamic. Mm. Uh, they're just not interested in wrestling that day and therefore will not try particularly hard. And then there's other matches where it's like, no, I'm here to batter you. Uh, <laughs> um, and and that comes across in this one where for both of them, it's like, no, this is the time to batter one another. And Emmy is a killer queen. She is mm-hmm. the queen of Japanese women's wrestling and she is a killer. And you're disrespecting her by smirking, by smiling, by being a show off. And so now she's going to tiger drive you into a backbreaker and things mm. like that. Like that she's going to add so much more pain to what she's doing mm. than when she's Freddie Mercury, her biggest move is a Romero special. Mm. And and now when she does like the little we will rock you spot, it's like got a new twist to it because she's so vicious and so outwardly just really nasty that this 
this We Will Rock You spot is now where she's clapping and the, the trainees at the side are like clapping along. It's now like nasty and arrogant, a nasty and arrogant taunt to go ahead with along with the physical punishment that she's giving. It's just like, I'm the queen, so I will humiliate you. I will humble you. I will put you in your place. Uh, and I will laugh at you and taunt you when I do it. Uh, I, I, I think that this, this version of the character could be a much more effective version of the character if AEW wanted to to make her more of a uh, a presence on Dynamite or or Rampage or you know as part of that more televised product because as you said in Dark it's happening and there's a there's some stuff going on there but if they wanted to do that I think this this is now the package that that you'd want to put in. Venny does get back into the match of course some really athletic counters really athletic offense culminating in an Orihara moonsault to the outside. You mentioned before that people were saying like, this is the best wrestler in the world right now from this little bit. I can see why people are saying that. Yeah. From, from a first introduction again, the match, the match isn't blow away insane, but it was mm. blow away insane enough compared to the rest of the tournament that you're like, wow, this is, this is the standout by far. And it's a mm. first round match. Like it gave a lot of hope for what was going to come up because it's the new and improved Emmy. She's mm. she's brutal, she's vicious, and you have this person who a lot of Western fans, uh, myself included, hadn't seen yet, and they're doing incredible manoeuvres. They're doing mm. an Arihara moonsault to the outside in a tiny gym and not making it look like they've taken any precautions to keep it mm. safe. It's the same old move, it's the same effectiveness, it's the same going for damage while still doing it in half as much room as you'd usually get in mm. any other situation. Um, and that- What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. That's like a, a tremendous, like the biggest testament you can give that someone has that level of skill at the age of 22, I believe it Venny is, to be able to mm. pull off a move like that with such mm. little room for error and without the assistance from um, Emmy's trainees who were also there. Mm. They're not needed to keep it safe because Emmy can hit, uh, Venny can hit the move and not mm. have to worry about cracking their skull or anything <laughs> like that on the concrete below. So um, a tremendous first, first impression for this match. Yeah, absolutely. And to to what you were saying there, like this match isn't an all-time great, like as in it's not like the match of the year contender, but there's something to giving someone uh, a taste of both characters and a really strong taste. I, I'd liken it to a few years ago, one of my first um, real tastes of Shingo Takagi as a singles wrestler was Shingo Takagi versus Sho uh, in the opener of the the Super Junior yes. Tournament in 2018. Best of the Super Juniors. Uh, and best of the Super Juniors, there we go. Uh, but, yeah, Shingo Takagi versus Show. you know, it's not something that was the match of the year, but it was just a really strong dose of what both of these guys can do. Uh, and, and yeah, that's what Venny's showing off here in this match. Um, particularly, I, I really like that sequence of offense there. And, as you said, the moonsault to the outside is, is fantastic. But Emmy, of course, is not a veteran for nothing. She gets back into it by countering when Venny goes for a springboard uh, and then goes back to punishing Venny and just sort of trash-talking her in the way we did before, uh, you know, just really wanting to rub in the fact that they're on top. Venny gets back in. This is a real seesawing affair, and I liked that for for this po- this portion of the tournament. Intercepting Emmy when she's trying to sit down on the top turnbuckle, hitting her with a, a slap, and then just 
hitting like a headlock takeover off the top of the the turnbuckle, just ripping Amy Sakura down. I don't think I've ever seen anyone hit that particular move before. Like lots of really unique offense on display. I really liked that that little move. Absolutely. It's it's also um oh I forget the name of it the the moon salt that Christopher Daniels does that almost killed him in his match with Pentagon. The BME um, best moon salt ever. No, the no. uh is it Arabian moon salt? Oh maybe yeah, this yeah. Sa- Sabu style where you you bounce with your legs off the top oh, rope yep, in order yep, to hit yep. it. Yep. And Veddy's doing that to hit a headlock takeover, like you're saying, mm. and and the slap and everything that builds into it isn't just out of nowhere. It's building the disrespect between the two of them because it's not just the Emmy sitting on the top rope waiting to get a move done. She's sort of looking incredulously down at this younger wrestler and sort of being like, mm. "Get up! It's time for me to hit you. Get up!" And mm. Veni gets halfway across the ring in a second because they've got incredibly long limbs, so they just forward roll and are right in Emmy Sakura's face. Big slap, and then this incredible move, which you can also see as being effective because it's doing a lot of wrenching on the neck and in the upper mm. body and taking someone down from a high height. It's a it's tremendously unique offense uh, mm. for a first round matchup on a show on YouTube. So again, yeah. going back to best wrestler in the world, don't know because I've not seen that many matches, but I'm entertained. I'm certainly mm. entertained by what I've seen so far. With Venny there, some of their transitions and counters and technical grappling is so smooth. Like there's a there's a takedown into an armbar that happens a little bit later on, and I was like, that looks like a Bret Hart move. I you know, and and for me, when you're talking like crisp offense, Bret Hart is like that's the gold standard for like crispness in technical offense, and and that reminded me of their their takedown in that instance reminded me of of a Bret Hart takedown so really really high high praise for for what Benny is doing in this match very clear contrast of styles um which I think is the story if we're getting into the story of this match Benny more athletic Emi Sakura of course is meaner more experienced uh, so knows how to like you know play a hand to get back on top, even though she's potentially a little bit outgunned when it comes to like speed, power, strength. She's just got the veteran now to to get back into things. Um, what did what did you think of the story that they told? Just generally within the match, as you say, it's, yeah. it's a back and forth affair. Neither mm. of them wanting to give the other ground. Both of them feeling like they want to be a little bit disrespectful. Uh, mostly brought on by Veni, if I'm being honest. Yes, yeah. that's kind of, of Veni's whole thing is uh is like not only am i a very pretty wrestler i am also like willing to beat you up if i need yep. to and therefore i don't need to respect you regardless mm. of who you are yeah and as a killer queen the queen of joshi as we keep hitting on emmy's not going to stand up for that so it's a lot of back and forth of like mm. you will show me respect i don't need to show you respect I, you need to earn mine mm. regardless of age like well told through big power moves, but mm. they are also capital M moves. And sometimes that's all I want from wrestling is to see mm. a Arabian style headlock takeover from the top yep. rope followed up by a standing shooting star press and just yep. go, that's incredible. Yet more of that, please. Mm. I don't need you to tell me that there's disrespectful like stuff going on here. I just want to see the capital M moves. Yep. Either way, you're getting both in this match. If you want to read into it and go, well, there's a lot of disrespect here. Maybe they'll come out of it. Maybe it'll just build more discontent. Or you mm. can go, wow, I'm seeing insane stuff. And that's enough for me. <laughs> yeah, I I love some of the strong style exchanges in this as well, where they were just striking each other, like really good stuff. 
like early on in the the pandemic, I, I think certain wrestlers worked out that the best way to to do these completely empty arena shows was just to like go balls to the wall and just like really batter each other, have like 15 really hard minutes, you know, like the Okada 30 minute match just does not work when there's no crowd. Uh, and that's not to say the Okada 30 minute match isn't incredible and amazing. It just doesn't work when you don't have a crowd, but you know, like the, this reminded me a bit of the Hiromu Takahashi and Tomohiro Ishii match uh, in terms of just like these two guys just throwing everything at the wall at each other. Uh, and, you know, this young up and coming, potentially brash in some ways, uh, wrestler trying to get one up on this just veteran who will give no quarter, take no quarter. Of course, Tomohiro Ishii and, uh, and Emi Saka have got very different characters and very different mannerisms. You know, I don't think you're going to see Tomohiro Ishii doing a, uh, try to get a, we will rock you spot going at any point, but I don't know if you've just seen... in terms of the. I don't know if you see inter- while he's been in AEW, um, he's interacted with the Killer Queens to an extent on social media. They've been doing uh, Emmy Sacker's current um, thing, or was her current thing, was she's she's running a, a show called Choco Pro, which is very much like the most ridiculous wrestling you've ever seen. Don't know if you've ever seen it. They wrestle not, in a five foot by five foot chocolate mat in like what is always described as the waiting area of a dentist's office. Oh my god! Um, it's it's wild <laughs> and it's it's all free on YouTube and they have some amazing matches that are that just happen to be wrestled on a brown mat and on the way. Anyway, they're doing a thing uh, while while they're in Japan while they're in America. Sorry, um, which I hadn't seen before. But there's basically like a rock paper scissors challenge and the winner gets a little square of chocolate. And Tomohiro Ishii was doing it and won and does not look like he. <laughs> wanted to be involved at all so he gets handed I'll this little square of chocolate and just to totally ignores the scenario that's happened in front of him so uh, you're right he'll put up with it but he wouldn't do it it's... <laughs> uh back to the match <laughs> that's a great diversion i'll definitely i'm definitely going to check that out though later on. <laughs> but yeah look i think these guys worked out that like you know you're in an empty arena you're not going to sit on a headlock for for five you know you're not going to work an arm for five minutes to try and, and build something up. You're just going to have to go at each other and go at each other hard, really blistering pace. Uh, and and as we move into like the the final stage, that pace only got quicker and quicker, which is, you know, a good, a great thing for, for match pacing and, and how you can climax a match is just, you know, keep upping the ante. The sequence sees Emmy dodge a moonsault, um, rolling up to Venny, transitioning into a dragon sleeper. Uh, then when Venny gets out hitting a power bomb, really vicious looking power bomb, and gets the three count, uh, I'm <laughs> the first wrestler that got me into wrestling was Batista. So I love a good power bomb. Excellent, love a good power excellent. bomb. <laughs> and this was this was a good one. This was a good power bomb. Uh, what did you think of the uh, the final little sequence here, Sam? Well, again, ca- like a power bomb is going back to me joke like half tongue and cheek saying capital M moves. A power bomb yeah. <laughs> can sometimes be the most capital M move. If you want to go Keith Lee esque with his spirit bomb move, and you're just bouncing people on their neck, you you a tremendously dramatic thing to see. And there is a high high stack on that finish from Emmy mm. Sakura, yep. just making sure that she's got the pin in. Um, I think throughout the whole match, there's sort of like a lot of use of the dragon sleeper, which doesn't necessarily play into the finish but again 
sometimes the story that a wrestling match is telling you doesn't need to inform the direct finish of the match. So she re- regularly goes back to this dragon sleeper. She regularly goes for uh, attacks to the lower back of Venny. She's regularly going for different maneuvers that can damage the spine. And while it's a bomb that finishes it, a bomb can finish any match. You don't need to wear down an opponent to win with a bomb, but you do need to wear down an opponent to be able to win with anything. And I think that is something, if you want to read into the match, that she's she's going for different victories at different times, whether it be with a dragon sleeper, whether it be with backbreakers. But when she gets the opportunity to win with a bomb, she goes for the bomb because that's going to get her the win. Well, she's a veteran, of course. So she's like looking at this match as like, I've got... Let's. Well, it's better to have more than one way to victory. Like I'm going to set up multiple paths that I can win this match and and try and find multiple ways that I can do it because I I know this person is athletic. I know that they're good, even though I might not like them. Uh, I I know that they're a formidable challenge. So I'm going to try and have as many paths to victory as possible. And you know, even though you've said it is a bomb that finishes it, you know, what do you land on when you have a bomb? What what part of your body is most compressed when they're hitting a bomb and then doing that stack up pin it's a spine that's what you've got to yeah. use to to sort of kick out you you're really putting in you're using that and if that's been damaged then that's going to affect your ability to, to kick out as it did in this case post-match we we talked about the levels of respect between these two and we see that here where venny slaps emmy sucker in the face refusing the respect spot um i don't know if emmy was you know totally <laughs> going for this totally with total good faith so maybe Venny was right to slap her in the face after that I, I love I love a little um post-match sort of get even get even in this way as as I said at the start this is a first time matchup between the two and if they want to you can run that match back on any wrestling card in the world and mm. just have if you want the storyline to be there you disrespected me, even after mm. even after we earned each other's respect by going to war for however long the match was. It's it's about we've talked minutes. about it. There's mm. there's some big big hits in it, like for a 15 minute match. Um, if you want to know about other great matches that are under 20 minutes long, check out Near Falls Media and our new magazine. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so so it's a hard hitting affair. You'd thought they would have earned some level of respect, but no, uh, Venny is still there for Venny and no one else. Um, Emmy shows respect, and this is the interesting thing where, as I said, going into this match, the last time we've seen Emmy Sacker in AEW, she is determinably a heel. Now, we don't really know. She's got this new gimmick. She's a bit rougher, a bit tougher, but she still goes for the handshake to the younger wrestler at the end to say, well done, which is not a traditionally heel move. It's much more of a, like, respectable veteran face move. It's just quite nice that we we don't entirely know yet. We don't know that she's definitely not on the the good side uh, of of morality, perhaps. Um, but I like that to finish this match off, we were sort of told Emmy's respectable. Emmy cares about respect. Very does not. <laughs> um, but you still want to see it again. Yeah, strong first impression, particularly for Venny on me. Um, their offense, as I said, really crisp, uh, really really athletic and and you, when you've got those two those two dials it, it's really hard to go wrong i wouldn't necessarily say based on just this best wrestler in the world uh that's that's probably a few few leaps too far just based on this but you know as i said i haven't seen a whole lot of their catalog so but, maybe but they it makes are, you and, want to check out more yeah that's the important yeah. thing 
And and if someone told me that this person has wrestled matches that are, you know, of the absolute top echelon, then I would absolutely believe them based on what I saw in this. Uh, and, and of course, as I said, you know, Emi Sakura, this is her, you actually, as you said, this is by far her best match in that she's had in AEW and, uh, and, and showed me how she could potentially be deployed um, down the line if they want to do that on on a more um, broader a broader scope. Uh, I, I wouldn't be completely opposed to it as, you know, and I, I think it would actually work, unlike, as we said, it, it didn't necessarily click earlier on. Uh, it translates better as a character. Yeah. Like going back to that Riho match, um, if, if this version of Emi Sakura was presented against Riho as the veteran trainer, coming out to, to take a belt off of an unruly trainee, um, it would be far more threatening than Freddie Mercury being pushed in there at the last minute. So, um, As I said earlier, this is a, a match that ranked really highly when we did the um, definitive AEW match guide. It was definitely the, the top match of this tournament. Uh, it was the only one that made the only one from this tournament that made the top 50. Uh, and it's something that I think is really well remembered and beloved almost by elements of the AEW fan community, at least the fan community that I interact with. We, I mean, we've gone into depth on this match, but what do you think is the secret source that has made this match so beloved? A desire to see the women's division get a win, mm. to put it like that. This was Shida booking this tournament, taking ownership of this tournament, going to a different country and, and running it from two different sides of the globe with with plenty of help, I'm sure. But this provided a lot of hope that the women's division was trending in the right direction. I think most of us would argue it's still not at the level that anyone wants it to be at. I don't think there's an argument anymore for quality of wrestler. And this tournament was a sign in the beginning of 2021, maybe maybe they're starting to understand that. Yes, it's still on YouTube, but they're giving more agency to the women's division. They're giving mm-hmm. it something they've never done before, which is a, a international, multinational tournament. Whether that's been pushed for by, uh, by Hikaru Shida or whatever it may be, that's a, a big, big deal, a big ray of hope for this division uh, within the company wider. I think people want to remember that and want to remember the position we were in 2021 at the beginning. Uh, I know that the highest-ranking women's match in the top 50 is Baker versus Rosa in the Lights Out match, mm. and that happened at around a similar time, early 2021. Mm. Yep. You had a, a really, really good uh, women's hardcore match at the same time that you were having this multinational tournament that was putting on great matches like this, good mm. matches in other places, and at least entertaining stuff that was making people go, maybe AEW will see this and maybe they'll give it more of a chance. Um, sadly, and we can talk about this more, I don't know how much you want to, I don't think they have, but mm. people want to remember this tournament because it is such an important part in the history of this very young women's division. Mm. Yeah, um, I think 2021 is ending well for the women's division, uh, but there was certainly a chunk in the middle there where, you know, there were some aspects, that, and it started very well with this this tournament, this match, of course. This is the standout match of the tournament, although on the American side, there was some great matchups. Um, Riho versus uh, Riho versus Britt Baker. Um, sorry, Riho versus Steve being one of them. Uh, a real a real strong match there on the on the American side. But this is, I think, this match is the, the standard bearer for the tournament, and I think people do want want to remember it for that. I personally, you mentioned before, you don't want this tournament to be forgotten. I really don't want Hikaru Shida's role as the champion to be forgotten. They had a really tough year in 2020, and she was the champion throughout that. But 
without her, far out, man. I don't know what, I, like, would we even <laughs> had a women's division? I don't know what would have happened without I want, her being, I want like, everyone the person listening to this. holding this thing together. I want um, everyone listening and, to this because I think it's free on YouTube. Go back and watch Hikaru Shida versus Ty Conti and tell me that's not at least a good match that was put on mm-hmm. at the end of a reign where she's been doing it for longer than any other champion in the company. Yeah. And as you say, struggling yeah. through a really hard year. Mm. And and now now you bring it up because we have brought up a few of the other women's matches around this. Um, I think we've sort of covered the legacy of the tournament, the legacy of this match. Um, but I, I did want to actually bring up some of the other women's matches that came up in the definitive match guide because, uh, as I said, this was the fourth highest rated when we did that, uh, and we had a, a really broad spectrum of. I'm really proud of the the spectrum of, of voices we got that that contributed to the match guide uh it was 30 people there's there's women people from different podcasts people from different sites there's a whole broad spectrum of taste so i think we got a really diverse bunch of people in for that to to vote on that and this came in fourth um the fourth highest women's ranked match uh it was behind of course um you mentioned um rosa versus baker it was behind reho versus d which we covered on the podcast a few weeks ago uh and sheeta versus conti also came in higher than this one and it beat out matches like um, Sheeta vs. Baker, both of the Sheeta vs. Baker matches, Sheeta vs. Nyla Rose, and also Nyla Rose vs. Riho. Do you think this this is sort of an accurate positioning of this match in terms of where the other women's matches stand against it? I think certainly, especially if you want to talk about storytelling. I mean, we, we talked about this match doesn't necessarily need it because it's part of a tournament and tournaments inherently tell stories. Mm. On top of the fact you can just watch a match and go, wow, the the um, the way that the Dragon Sleeper is deployed is, is incredible throughout. There's really big moves that entertain me, if nothing else, in this pantomime with stunts. So it rightfully belongs below matches like um, Baker versus Rosa and the one I just mentioned in um, Shida versus Conte, because those have like bigger roles to play. But I also think that the quality of this match, I mean, you said Dave Meltzer didn't rank it. Cage match gave it what is essentially a four-star ranking, if you want to mm. think about that. Which means it's a great match, which means mm. that 20 years yeah. ago, this should be in match of the year contention. And the fact that it's 42nd on this list just shows the quality of like the rest, the rest mm. of the stuff. I don't think that's in a bad position. I just wish there were more women's matches populating this mm. top 50. And I yeah. don't like that the fourth highest has to be 42nd. Mm, yeah, I think that's fair, to be honest. And and honestly, I think I would rank this higher than Sheeta versus Conti, but I would probably leapfrog Sheeta versus Nyla Rose from Double or Nothing 2020. I'd leapfrog that way up higher. <laughs> like For me, that's way that's way higher. Um, but as I said, I'm a big Hikaru Sheeta fan, and, and, and part of you know that match for me is like, I don't want people, people to forget how great this match was. And I don't mm. want people to forget how great her title run was in really like the toughest circumstances that any any wrestling organization has ever had. Of course, that covers all of wrestling, not just yeah. AEW. Like every wrestling company was in the toughest circumstances wrestling had ever had. And I, I, I thought really highly of that despite the troubles that it had. But I really think this match is is worth remembering. It's like a really great G1 match. It tells a quick story. It, in, it tells a bit about the characters. It's not like a pay-per-view main event standard by any means, but it's something that is really digestible, really worth revisiting. And 
I really want to see both of these characters back at some point. Of course, we are getting some Emi Sakura, but I'd love to see some more Venny when Japanese when Japan sorts its COVID situation out. I want to see more Venny. I'd love to see more, you know, talking about the other wrestlers are in this tournament. I'd love to see more Maki Ito. Uh, and I'd love to see this tournament as well return or the concept of this tournament. You know, why can't we have maybe like a, a UK part of a, a tournament or something? There's a, you know, a lot of, a lot of wrestling in the UK. I could... I'd be happy to help try and pick out some Australian wrestlers to to be on the Australian <laughs> the Australian side of a, of a of a tournament for this this circuit. <laughs> uh, so Tony, if you're listening, hit me up. You know where to find me. <laughs> what do you think? Do you think this is something? This is a concept that could come back at some point. I think they they love to do title eliminator tournaments. I think it makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. It tournaments provide a lot of uh, stuff for television. Where as we're recording this in the midst of the TBS title tournament. And title eliminators uh, grant license to create a number one contender out with the ranking system. Mm-hmm. That being said, you can also tie in the ranking system as they've done with the TBS tournament, which mm-hmm. I adored, by the way. Mm-hmm. I think that's oh, incredibly yeah. underrated. The fact that they use the rankings as an excuse for first round buys. I would like this tournament to return. I would like to see more Joshi. Joshi was mm-hmm. very important early on in AW, and that representation got me into Tokyo Joshi Pro. You cannot help but see Yuka Sakazaki. Oh, almost yeah, fall off of a top course. rope and go, oh, I, I, you know, I'm not that interested. Or Shoko Nakajima, who made one AEW Dark appearance, come out with her little, like, monster head and a belt around her waist and not go, <laughs> who is this person that has boundless energy and can hit a 619? Who is this? I want to know more. And AEW is doing a lot for that side of wrestling while also using that side of wrestling to prop themselves up. And that's what most people pointed to as the biggest problem for them in 2020. Mm. I've been talking a lot on social media recently about this idea of, we've been talking about the four pillars in AW, and uh, I've made reference on social media to this idea of like the uncrowned kings. It comes from like a, an, an anime about basketball. But in essence, it's like, if you have a generational array of talent, the generation above them is almost always going to be forgotten about because they're overshadowed by those that come after. During this discussion, uh, Ken, who also writes for Near Falls, has come up with the idea of the five sovereigns. He puts the five sovereigns as the first four men's champions. So uh, Jericho, Moxley, Omega, Page, and then Shida as being like five people that carried the company. Mm. In reality, looking back on Shida's reign now, by virtue of it being in the... uh, pandemic era i think baker's already taken over that position as like someone that built the company because as soon as i'll tell you this way the reason i'm <laughs> no, saying that is saying. because Don't i worry. think she is already overshadowed by baker to an extent and the reason yep. i'm saying that is because we're, we're talking about this tournament that this is potentially the defining moment of Shida's title reign the fact that she did this tournament and she's got one match in it because she was the champion and it's the final one as soon as she was dropping the belt, it was no longer about her. And then she didn't appear on television again until the next pay-per-view cycle. Mm. Like, And that is damning as far mm. as I'm concerned. That You have a champion who's defended the belt more and longer than any other title holder. And as soon as she loses it, she's not seen on television until your next mm. pay-per-view. Yeah. In which case, she's in a battle royal where she gets eliminated within the first like five entries. Mm. So, yeah. Um, I think it's quite damning. It's important to remember this tournament because it highlights the problems that we're talking about. It shows that it can be done, but it Mm. also is a great example of why 
we're being given this hope as AEW fans that the women's division could turn around and then it feels like we're not it's not coming because there yeah. are instances like this and then it just doesn't follow through quite as how we would want it to yeah look uh, uh, as i said i'm a big fan of the Sheeta title run was a big fan of Hikaru Sheeta and I'm a proponent for remembering what she did and how she did hold the division together but in many aspects she was overshadowed almost the entire run by Britt Baker uh, and people wanting to see Britt Baker usurp her as the champion um, because yeah. Britt Baker did have a very compelling character um, and and was making a strong was was proving to have a strong proposition to be a champion and like to be honest, I think that how do I how do I put this? I think people thought it would be more successful than it has been, because up until this point, I think Hikaru Shida's run absolutely blows Britt Baker's run socks off. Like every single match in Shida's run is better than every just about every single match that Britt Baker's had. Uh, and Britt yeah. Baker has an incredibly compelling character. But at the end of the day, what do you do when the bell rings? You have to have a match, and and I. I I'm really intrigued by the the concept of the sovereigns and how they get overshadowed by the the people who come beforehand, um, because yeah. I can absolutely see that. And even well, like, it's more maybe, like it's to to explain my weird mm. attitude to this. It's the sovereigns are the people that everyone's always going to remember because they built the company, which is why mm. I'm saying that I don't uh, think okay, Shida yeah. fits in that. You have yeah. you have the first four men's champions because they're literally yeah. on a poster. Right. Mm. And then you have Baker because people willed her to be champion and she's remembered like she she got to the stage. Mm. You then have like the four pillars that everyone's been talking about with Jungle Boy and MGF and Darby Allen and Sammy yeah, who are supposed saying. to carry the, the camp company in 10 years. And in between these two, you will have like a layer of people who will never get the flowers they deserve. Um, the person that always comes to mind, I think of this is Pac. I feel like he's just had mm. so many problems that he's going to struggle to be fondly remembered for what he could have done for this company. And because of how Shida's title reign has ended, and the fact that we're talking about this match, mm. because it's part of a tournament that she organized that we're praying, we're holding on for dear life that it doesn't get mm. forgotten, there's a really good chance she's going to get overshadowed in three years' time from someone that mm. comes after. And that's a bit of a shame. Yeah, and, and I'd probably throw her into that basket, Nyla Rose who I think like early on in AEW is absolutely tearing it up and has done whenever she's been given the spotlight. Uh, but yeah, I don't think he's going to be remembered the way that I'd love her to be remembered. Uh, and you're probably right with Sheeta there, to be honest, even though let's, I'm going to, I'm just going to start like reviewing courage for this. This podcast is going to turn into the, uh, the AEW Sheeta world championship title run. match. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll just bury Britt Baker the whole time. Anyway, no. <laughs> well, anyway, look, we have gone massively off into the weeds. I, I loved <laughs> it, though. Absolutely loved it. <laughs> Spent a lot, probably more time talking about other stuff than the actual match itself. But that's okay, because the match is what is, is at the centre of all of this and is the reason for this. And it's an absolute banger of a match. So I'm really glad we got to talk about it. And and I think it, it is something that I'm, I'm glad made the list, because I, I hope it's remembered uh, as a, a bit of a flag in the ground for the women's division at a point in time where it was, you know, trying to get get some momentum uh, and build up uh, a little bit more than than what it had been when it had had some troubles in 2020, uh, as we've sort of documented. Sam, before we get going, did you have anything else you'd like to say about this match uh, or, or what we've been talking about in general? 
Uh, go and check it out. Go and check out more Joshi. Um, I don't know when this particular episode will come out, but um, I'm a big proponent for Tokyo Joshi Pro. If you like Maki Ito when she's appeared, if you like Yuki Zakazaki when she's appeared, but if you're interested in that, go and seek it out. Go and seek out Stardom. Go and seek out um, Seedling, which uh, the the guy who runs Deer Falls, Conrad, shout out, is, is a big fan of. All these, all these different companies that you should go and check out if you love women's wrestling. Uh, go and check out Impact because the comparison's always made there. Go and check out NWA because um, one of my favourite matches of the year is a title defence for them. So check out other wrestling. I know we're talking about AEW here, but these are two wrestlers who, at least one of them is a freelance wrestler and the other one hasn't wrestled on AEW TV in, in two years. So check out other wrestling, check out women's wrestling, give every opportunity for all these performers to impress you. And uh, yeah, just in, enjoy what you get to see on a weekly basis. <laughs> Indeed. And if people do in fact go and do that and they want to talk to you about it, Sam, where can they find you? They can uh, get annoyed at me for everything I've said over the last <laughs> however long uh, on Twitter at Quantum Roberts or probably at Near Falls Media. Um, because we've talked about she does title reign, etc. I'm going to plug very quickly one last time. The Near Falls Magazine, it's the first print or digital magazine to be brought out by the company. Uh, it's a small team of young and hungry wrestling journalists, and we've all put a lot of work into it. And there's chat about Sheena's title reign and how it compares to other pandemic-era title runs. So go and check out stuff like that. And there's there's talk about stardom and Noah and everything that you'd love. So Near Falls Media or Quantum Roberts, which is a, a very geeky reference to Power Rangers, so I apologise to anyone that doesn't care. <laughs> Brilliant. I love it. I didn't know it was, but I love it even more now that it, I know that it is. <laughs> Sam's a fantastic follow for anyone who doesn't who doesn't follow him on Twitter. Uh, absolutely someone you should check out. Uh, and look, thank you very much for being on the podcast. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate everyone who, who shows up on the podcast. And I appreciate you, dear listener, for listening in today. Uh, it's been a fantastic ride. Uh, and I'm really glad we got to check out this match. Uh, as, as we've said, as Sam said, this is a match you can instantly digest. It's about 15 minutes long, so if you don't have much to do, this is definitely something that's worth revisiting. Man, I say that at the end of every episode, but that's that's because we only do good matches here on the AW Match Guide podcast. <laughs> and we've got another great match in store for you next week. We're looking at Kenny Omega versus Phoenix, uh, and I'm talking about Hey Brian, talking to Hey Brian from Wrestling for that one. Uh, so looking forward to that, and I'm looking forward to having you guys listening in again next week. But if you have any other things you'd like to reach out to me about, you can hit me up on Twitter, Sir underscore Samuel. Uh, and as I said, I really appreciate everyone who is a part of this family and of this community. Thank you very much for listening in today, and I will see you again next week. Thanks for listening to the AEW Match Guide podcast. If you enjoyed the show, then you can subscribe on the podcast app of your choice so you never miss an episode. Also, feel free to let me know on Twitter at Sir underscore Samuel. I'd love to hear from you. The AEW Match Guide podcast is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network, where you can find many other fantastic podcasts discussing not just AEW, but all parts of the world of professional wrestling. Looking forward to seeing you again next week. I'm Sam Brown.